If you're a parent, you have felt the struggle of misbehavior from your children. And at different ages, different things can contribute to this. But universally, there is one contributing factor that determines how much your child misbehaves. Now, if they're a baby and they're learning not to hit, it may be aggravated by this. And some of that may them just be learning how to control their hands. But overall, misbehavior, especially when they're old enough to choose their behavior, is a reflection of a lack of connection. So in today's episode, we are going to tackle how to nurture connection with your children so that correction doesn't have to be so frequent. Let's jump in. Hi, and you're listening to Java with Jen with your host, Jenilee Samuel. I had a friend this week whose little boy is very, very young. He's like 18 months old. Maybe he's going on two years old sometime soon. And she was asking me, at what age do I need to start disciplining him? Because he's apparently a very, very strong-willed child. And so she made her first purchase of wooden spoons. And it was just such a big, you know, it feels like a big moment in your child's life. No parent wants to start having to discipline their child, but inevitably it is a part of parenthood. However, I remember when my kids were young, feeling like discipline was one of the hardest aspects of parenthood because I was constantly second guessing if I was doing it right, if I was doing it too much, if I wasn't doing it right, if I wasn't consistent enough, I felt pressure to be 100% consistent and it can be a struggle. Well, I drew a lot of this information from the book, Peaceful Parent, Happy Kids, How to Yell Less and Have More Cooperative Children. I think that's the subtitle. And it's apparently just, it's an incredible book. Um, But I just pulled out some little highlights about how to nurture connection. She talks about in this book how misbehavior, especially when they're a little bit older and they're choosing their behavior, maybe three and four years old or even two years old, when they're making conscious decisions about their behavior, misbehavior, especially if it's more frequent than normal, is an SOS cry for connection. And so we're going to talk about some ways to rebuild connection in meaningful ways with your child. But first, I want to hit lightly and quickly how we as parents can self-regulate to minimize the yelling factor. Now, I remember when my mom, when I was growing up, in my early, early years, my mom had some serious anger problems. She had grown up in a very abusive, toxic home. And as a result, she just had a lot of suppressed emotion and it came out in anger. And I remember being really, frankly, afraid of my mom when we were very young. And I remember her at one point choosing, like, I cannot be this way. She had to learn, I cannot stay this way. I'm going to do the same thing to my kids that that was done to me if I don't change. And so I remember watching her learn to regulate herself and regulate means basically the process of us calming ourselves down so we get back into a healthy space and i remember watching her do this and so it's very important if you're a yeller or if you feel like you're inclined to frustration and anger honestly we all can go there with our kids um learning how to self-regulate is just an important part of any emotionally healthy individual's life. Learning to recognize our emotions, calm ourselves down, 
and choose a better response is an essential life skill. And so one, here's some little tips that she gave in the book about how we as parents can self-regulate. She said, there's just a couple of steps, but basically the first thing you want to do is recognize when you're having anger, frustration, or big emotions that will lean you into an angry or a harsh response. First off is recognizing those emotions. You might recognize it in your body first, like your heart starts racing, or you feel flushed in your face, or you feel a knot in your stomach, or you clench your fists, or you feel yourself grind your teeth. Any of those things can be indicators that anger and frustration is starting. So you have to kind of one way you can kind of do this is I sometimes will think back through my day and say, okay, when I blew up or when I blew it, what, what happened just before? Like what was said to me? Uh, who did what? Did they make a face at me? Was it their tone of voice? Was it they caught me at a bad time? Um, what happened that triggered that emotion? And then I think even deeper and think to myself, what was I telling myself in my head that fed that emotion. So for example, when I took the time to do this about my kids and I found that I was yelling a lot, I asked myself, Jen, why are you responding to your kids this way? Or one way you can phrase it is what lie am I believing that makes me react this way? And when I stopped and thought through what beliefs were rolling through my head in those moments when I would start to get angry, I realized I had some beliefs that my kids' bad behavior was a reflection of my bad parenting. Like I felt like it was an accusation against me. You're a bad parent. That's why I'm acting like this. You know what I mean? So I had to acknowledge, generally, you are a, a not a bad parent. You are a great parent and you're the parent that they need. And this is a lie. Their behavior is a reflection of their beliefs, their thoughts, their feelings, and it's not personal to you and you need to help them and coach them through the situation. And so, but it to the, the work after the fact or before the fact, you can work through scenarios in your head to almost like role play or practice. Okay. When that situation happened, here's what I felt. Here's what triggered me up. Here's the lie I was believing. Let's correct that lie and then role play in your head. Okay, so next time that kind of a situation happens, here's what I'm going to tell myself and here's how I'm going to respond. Okay, so that's how you can kind of be preventative when you're in the moment and you feel if you're if you've done well training yourself to recognize when you're starting to feel angry, starting to feel frustrated, when you feel those emotions, what you do is you stop drop and breathe, <laughs> stop, drop and roll, stop talking, just stop talking. When you start to feel angry and worked up, just stop talking. Cause when you're talking, if your voice sounds angry or is starting to get harsh, your own brain hears that. And it's apparently they found in studies that when you act in anger, it actually makes you more angry. It's like your anger snowballs. And so the best thing to do to stop that snowball is stop talking. So stop talking and then leave the room. The drop is not about dropping on the floor. You're going to drop the situation, leave the room, but I would just communicate to your child, say, I'm going to come back to this when I'm not so upset. 
and then just leave the room, get out of the situation because, and here's the deal. Your kid is not going to feel neglected. They're probably going to feel relieved <laughs> that they realize they just got off the hot seat. <laughs> they're like, okay, phew, mom's not going to cut my head off today. And they're going to appreciate the fact that you are mature enough to own your emotions, step away and come back when you can treat them with respect, because that's what it comes down to. If you can treat them with respect or not treating people with anger is not treating them with respect. And then, so you stop talking, you leave the room, and then you breathe, breathe deeply. When you've left the room, take deep breaths. I talked to a friend of mine who's a family counselor, and I said, how does a person get out of fight or flight mode? When we get anger and those emotions come up, basically, in essence, your body is going into fight or flight mode, and that your amygdala gets triggered in your brain, and it releases different chemicals, and it puts you into, I'm gonna fight you, or I'm gonna run away from the situation. So what you do is, she said, the only way to calm yourself from that place is to breathe deeply. That's the only thing. Oxygen, when that part of your brain oxygenates, it calms it down and tells it you're in a safe environment. So by intentionally breathing deeply and breathing slowly, you're feeding the calmness of your brain biologically. So when you step away, breathing deeply, get some fresh air. Um, there's pressure points on your body that you can push. I know that one is called the happy mustache. You can like stick your finger in the indentation above your upper lip, between your upper lip and your nose. And if you just press there for like 10 seconds, it will actually uh, calm down your amygdala in your brain and will help you soothe faster. And so you can do that. Take deep breaths, press that spot on your face. Um, that's another way to do it. And so another thing you can do to calm yourself is you can say whatever your personal mantra is that can calm you down. Like I choose love, or you can use a scripture that says the righteousness, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God or a gentle answer turns away wrath but a harsh word stirs up anger. That's the one my mom used. And so I grew up memorizing that verse because she would speak it out loud to herself all the time. The end of the story about my mom is that I watched her learn how to self-regulate. She started, she did these steps. She would stop herself. She'd say, I need to come back when I'm not angry. I will be back in a minute. I need to go cool down. She would tell us she was gonna go cool down. And then she would leave. And then I would hear her say that scripture to herself, a gentle answer turns away wrath and a harsh word stirs up anger. And I remember observing as a child and learning, watching her, I was watching how to regulate. I was watching how to own my emotions just by watching her do it. And she became one of the most patient people that we couldn't make upset. It was like she had learned how to control her anger so well that we felt totally free to be ourselves. We felt totally safe. Mom was our best friend because we didn't feel threatened by her anymore. And so walking through this process as a parent is super beneficial, not just for you, but for your child who's growing up. Because as you model this, you will be raising healthier adults who can have healthier marriages, who can be healthier parents, who can get better jobs because they're healthier employees, because anyone who can manage their emotions is a healthier individual, period. So the first thing you wanna do in nurturing connection with your child is regulate yourself, calm yourself. Stop talking, recognize when you're getting angry and stop talking immediately. 
leave the room, let them know you need to leave to cool down, breathe deeply, say, I choose love or quote your favorite scripture, push a pressure point, whatever, do something to calm yourself and then come back and address the situation again. Okay. So that's how you can regulate yourself and make sure you are not creating problems. Now, in general, when your child is demonstrating a lot of misbehavior, what she said in this book, which I just love, she said, misbehavior is an SOS for connection. It's an SOS for connection because it's an SOS from your child for connection because it means they're crying out saying, I'm having some really big feelings I don't know what to do with. And subconsciously, they're trying to get your attention. Just subconsciously because you are their rescuer. You are their provider. You are their caretaker. You represent help to them. And so misbehavior, as counterintuitive as it is because it makes us angry sometimes, misbehavior is actually them crying out for help. So if you can reframe in your mind the way you view their misbehavior instead of, man, I have a bad kid, or man, I'm failing as a parent clearly because of how they're behaving, reframe it as my kid is looking for connection and affirmation. So here's some ways that you can nurture connection. First, recognize that busyness erodes connection, busyness, because what busyness does is it causes us to kind of isolate and get a narrow focus and just pay attention to what I'm doing and what I need to get done to my tasks. And we kind of cut out those little moments that can present themselves for connection. So busyness erodes connection. And the way that you know that connection is hurt is through defiance in your child, regular disobedience, yelling, or having to give consequences often. These are signs that connection is being eroded. So easy solution, start connecting. So the way you repair, um, when you, so basically she talks about how you have, your child has like a love bank. We've heard this phrase, like a bank in their soul. And if they feel full, if that bank is full with deposits of love, then they can handle the, when you tell them no, when you have to correct their behavior or when you have to set limits, like, okay, we're not going here. We're not going there. No sleepovers this weekend. They can handle that. Those, dis, those little micro disappointments if their love bank is full, but if their love bank is feeling depleted because there's been more correction than affirmation, or there's been more no's than yeses, or there's been uh, more busyness than the ability to connect, if their love bank is not full, then those little micro disappointments will feel more like major disappointments to them, and they may have a stronger, harsher reaction to them. So um, what you want to do, one magical way, she says, to rebuild connection, and we have found this true with our kids as well, is just spending special time with your child. The secret sauce to their happiness is special time. And here's why. We can often think like, how do, how do I know that really works? Do love languages factor into this, blah, blah, blah. The reason special time is important is because one, in special time, all the love languages get spoken. You're probably going to hug your kid, touch them, pat them on the back, tussle their hair. That's, that's touch. Quality time is, is spent. Words of affirmation, having positive interactions and positive words. Um, acts of service, the fact that you're taking the time to meet their needs is a service. And words of affirmation, quality time, acts of service, physical touch, and gifts. It's the gift of your time. 
gifts and there if there's gifts involved like taking them to a meal or buying them a present then so all five of the love languages are spoken when you spend special time and remember you guys have heard me say it a hundred times the core of every human soul the core need is to feel seen heard and like they matter and so in special time your kid is going to feel seen they're going to feel heard they're going to feel like they matter so long as you're actually really engaging and really present during that time and so this the spending special time with your kid deepens our empathy for what they're going through you know on a childhood level it deepens our empathy and compassion for them and they can feel that um, it helps them to get out all their unhealthy feelings that they've been stuffing if they've been stuffing unhealthy feelings because they don't know what to do with them, they don't know how to process it, and you are the place where they process, which is common and normal for kids, then it gives them the ability to get all those feelings out, which is important for their their happiness. Um, it helps them to truly know that they matter to you, and it builds trust in the relationship. So special time is super important. Some little ways that you can build in special time into the routine. Let's say you can't go take an hour-long date. We do what we call mandates for the boys or mom dates for me and the boys. Um, is if you can't go do a mom date or a mandate, there's little ways you can make connection a priority. Is by a little little small connecting rituals like tucking them in at bedtime, school drop-off, chatting on the way to school. Um, maybe if you pick up lunch and, and take it to them or on Saturdays, making sure you make breakfast for them. Um, little rituals that become normal routines that build connection or dinner time on the weekdays is a great way to nurture connection on a regular basis. Another way is hugs. I realized the other day, even this morning, I thought about it when I was waking my kids up. I oftentimes go in and shake them and go, OK, time to get up, time to get up. And I realized, I was like, you know, if I just go a little extra and give them phrases like, I love you, time to get up, it, it releases satisfying emotions in their soul just to hear I love you and just to have a little affection from the beginning of the day. And so little tiny moments like that make the most of. Offer them hugs. When they wake up and they come into your room first thing in the morning, they're looking for connection. The moment they wake up, they're looking for connection. Give them a big hug tell them you love them, ask them how they slept. Okay, let's get started on the day. Those little things are built into their DNA to maintain connection in the family unit. Um, another way you can like nurture connection and not take away from it is no tech, no technology, put it away. And I have to work on this really hard, but sometimes when the kids come home and I'm really wanting to make sure I'm connecting with them, I will plug my phone up in the other room so it's attached to the wall and I can't walk around with it. And then I go in the other room where the kids are and I'll sit down in their bed, ask them questions about their day. I might ask them to go on a walk with me or Shiloh likes to lay in my bed and snuggle and watch. He likes to watch TV. I don't always like to. Um, little things like that. Okay, so there's other ways you can make connection outside of dates, but you can also make the evening about the family. Make that like, you know, the boys are always wanting to run errands and stuff. And I'll say, no, we need to just be home. I don't like our family being split up all week. Let's be home. We can run errands on the weekend. And so make the evening about the family. Um, be a great listener. When your kid is talking, demonstrate good listening with just good eye contact. Be interested in what they're saying. 
give them feedback on what they're saying. Listening well, asking questions is really helpful because it shows them that you're listening. So be a great listener. This builds connection. They feel seen and heard when you are. Um, remember that for every negative interaction with your child, they need multiple positive interactions. I've heard everywhere from five to 10. And so if you make it your goal to just offer them multiple positive interactions, that could be as simple as giving them a hug when you walk by, rubbing their back when you walk by, um, just when you see them across the room saying, hey, Levi, I love you. Little things like that are positive deposits that fill their love tank. And that is our responsibility as a parent is to leave them full of love. Another way is to be fully present. When you are engaging with your child, I really try to make sure that when they're talking, even if I'm driving, that I make the point to look over and look at their eyes when I'm listening to them. Eye contact is really big deal, especially if you're someone who ends up being on your phone a lot like I am. Eye contact is really important. It means a lot to them. In fact, eye contact causes a nutrient to be released in their brain that causes them to grow. And so like, just like we feed them healthy food so they get all their nutrients so that they grow strong and healthy, your face and your eye contact also provides a nutrient that their brain releases that feeds their body so that they grow. So your eye contact is important. Be fully present. Ask non-judgmental questions is another way to nurture connection. If I ask questions like, and they're like, mom, this and this and this happened at school. And I'm like, oh. So did you steal it from him or whatever? Um, that's judgmental. You know, they feel like I'm not giving them the benefit of the doubt. That's critical. And so asking non-judgmental questions, very open-ended or ones that is almost like you're exploring what was going on in their head. The next one would be just don't jump in with advice straight away. Kids, especially teens, want to know that you're just listening and kind of letting them process. Kids they don't have a grid for how the world operates. They are figuring it out. They feel small in a very big world. They feel lost in a very confusing uh, board game, if you will. Like They just feel a little bit overwhelmed sometimes. And when they're talking and they're processing, they don't necessarily want advice. They want to be able to process out everything they're thinking and feeling. And then later you can ask if they like advice or you know, if it naturally fits in there, but just not being quick to jump in with advice. When I had um, youth kids back in the day when we were youth pastors, I remember the girls would tell me all this stuff that was shocking about what happened at school and how guys would treat them and all these different things. And I remember asking, girls, don't you talk to your parents about this? And they're like, no, 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 no. And I was like, why don't you talk to your parents about these things? And they said, because they just don't understand. All they do want to do is give me advice. And so I realized like it's really important to listen with a heart to understand their heart and understand their experience and then empathize with their experience. Like, wow, that sounds really hard. Or, oh man, I'm sorry you had a rough day. Things like that tells them that they're seen and heard and valued. Advice can just sound like we're tuning them out and just trying to hear our own voice. So be selective with the advice that you give. Ask questions, help them solve their problems, and then affirm the conclusions they come to when they come to good <laughs> good conclusions or solutions. Um, and then the last two things you can do to nurture connection is manage your own emotions, like we talked about at the beginning, and don't overreact. 
a phrase I used to hear at leadership school is leaders respond, they don't react. Leaders are responders, not reactors. And I have people in my life who tend to have a short fuse and react real quickly. And they are not the people that I go to with my sensitive information. And so if you can control the need to react and just keep a straight face, that will allow your kids to feel like they have room to just kind of open up. And it's hard, but like when it comes to our kids talking about sex or asking questions about sex, um, I make it a point that no matter how shocking the question may be, that I don't have a reaction. Or if I do have a reaction, like I'm like, whoa, where'd that come from? You know, then I say, you know what? I'm sorry. I didn't need to give you that reaction. I just wasn't mentally prepared for you to suddenly ask that kind of a question, but I'm here. I'm ready. Let's talk about this, you know? And so guarding that reaction because they will feel vulnerable in that moment if you do have a reaction. So anyhow, those are some ways that you can nurture connection with your kids, hugs and hugs and small connecting rituals, putting away technology, making evening about the family, be a great listener, five positives for every negative, be fully present, ask non-judgmental questions, don't jump in with advice too quickly, manage your own emotions, and don't overreact. These are all great ways to nurture connection with your kid. Remember, always, always pursue connection before correction. And that could even mean you're sending them to the bedroom to be disciplined, but that before you discipline them, you remind them that you love them, that you believe in them, that you know they didn't have an ugly heart or they didn't realize how it was going to come across. Just seek some little way to connect before correcting. Remember that you are their coach. You are not their controller. You are coaching, not controlling your children. Coaching is an important approach that gives them the freedom, makes them feel like they have the freedom to learn. Um, Remember that misbehavior is an SOS from your child seeking connection and letting you know without words that they are struggling with something on the inside. So when there's a lot of behavior, take time to connect with them and see if you can get them talking to hear their heart. Okay, guys, I hope this was helpful. I hope that it brought up some good points and leaves you feeling like you've got some tools for connecting with your children. Remember, again, regulating yourself looks like pay attention to what triggers you up and recognize when you're starting to feel angry and frustrated. In that moment, stop talking. Leave the situation. Let them know you'll come back when you're not angry. Breathe deeply, say a mantra, say a scripture, something to calm yourself, push a pressure point, and then start again. Your kids need to see you walk this process because they will learn how to walk this process themselves. And remember, your children's misbehavior is a cry for connection. All right, guys, I hope this was helpful. Stay tuned in the life hack. I have a very simple, cute little fun thing you can do to nurture connection without a whole lot of work. We did it as a kid in my family, and it was a, it's a really sweet childhood memory. So that's what is in your life hack. You could do it today. Make it a fun little thing with your kids. Make it a craft to get it started. Stay tuned for life hacks. So for today's life hack, this is something that we did when I was a kid in my family that helped to foster little tiny points of connection. And we had what was called a fuzzy wuzzy. And it was a little felt-shaped heart 
that had little googly eyes glued onto it and a little face drawn. And I think on the back it said, I love you more than you'll know or something like that. And what we, what the game was is that my mom went and would hide it somewhere in the house and whoever found it, they found it and it was meant to make them feel loved. You're supposed to take a minute and realize that you're loved and then you go and hide it for someone else to find. So then it's kind of like this little game of love, hide and seek all over the house. I think especially young children would love this, um, but I think it's something that teenagers probably also, they probably find it humorous. I mean, attach a dollar bill and they'd really like it, but, <laughs> uh, but this is just a little tiny way to foster connection in, in a way that literally takes zero effort, except for when you first create it. And what you could do is like, if you make it, you could create it with a pocket on the back where you can write a little handwritten note, you know, a little note that says, I was thinking about you today or whatever. And then it kind of adds even more value to it because it's not quite so cliche. Uh, and so try that if you're looking for some way, especially with the older kids, the handwritten note would be beneficial. Otherwise, with younger kids, you know, they could draw a little picture or something like that and then hide it somewhere. And so it's just kind of a fun way to spread love and encourage connection outside of predictable ways of doing that. So if you guys have little ways that you like to use with your kids or that your parents used with you or that you've just heard of that you feel like are simple little ways to foster connection in the home or with your children, let me know because I want to include those in our life hacks in the month of March. So let me know what those are and we'll include that information. And I will catch you guys next week. And don't forget, go check out the merch store. More and more of you guys have been buying the coffee and loving it. Again, I don't mark up the coffee at all. I, the company that makes it for us, they receive full profits. They are a business and a ministry. And so I just want to support them. They are also sponsors of the podcast. And so it's kind of my way to give back to them. The coffee comes in at a great price. It's way cheaper than Starbucks, but it's honestly way better. So go check out the merch store, javawithjenmerch.com. And you can at the very top of the website or the on your mobile device as well, there is a coffee tab. That's what you're going to want to hit to go find the coffee. So all right, you guys, thanks for listening. Don't forget to come back next week. I believe I'm going to be talking about how to nurture connection with your teenager or sorry, eight ways to strengthen your parent-teen relationship. And so this week was just about kids in general. Next week will specifically be about teenagers. They can be their own unique kind of challenge. And then in March, we're going to dive into all the things that spring brings, like new life, cultivating life, nurturing life. And we're going to start with self-love and talking about postpartum and how to have a godly approach on self-love. So Good stuff coming at you guys. If you have any topic ideas for March or April, please let me know. I would love to hear from you about that. And I will see you guys on Instagram. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's show. For those of you who've rated or shared this podcast on social media, thank you. Reading your comments and reviews always means so much to me. Listen, let's stay connected. Come follow me on Instagram at Java with Jen, where you can follow the latest and say, hey, it's a really great way to stay in touch. 
Many of you have also asked how you can support the show. You can make donations through the Anchor app or on Patreon. Or, of course, by sharing, rating, and reviewing on social media and iTunes as well. Your heartfelt feedback always reminds me why I do this. Until next time, remember, you will fulfill your greatest destiny one day at a time.